and be gone. As far as most of the two hundred thousand men in the Imperial Pacification Army of the Northwest were concerned, the barbarians could keep this bitter place. But their own sage and illustrious emperor, ruling in Hanjin with the mandate of heaven, had judged the Kislik to be presumptuous and arrogant, needing to be taught a stern lesson. His advisers had seen opportunities here, fame and power, rising within the court hierarchy. For some of them this war was also a test, a preparation for the true enemy, which was the even more presumptuous Shaolu Empire north of Kitai. There was a treaty with the Shaolu. Had been for two hundred years, broken at intervals, never irreparably. By its terms, the steppe people still held the fourteen prefectures they had taken below the long wall of Kitai. The glorious emperor's father and grandfather had not been able to win them back, by diplomacy or threat of arms, though they had tried both. Not even an offered princess had sufficed. The Xiaolu knew what they had. By holding those hilly lands with their narrow passes, they ensured that all the northern cities of Kitai were open to horsemen racing down a wide plain. They held what was left of the long war. It meant nothing now, was only a ruined marker of what Kitai had once been. To give this back for a princess? There were seeds in all of this, if one looked closely and thought about it, for what was coming. Not just in the larger sweep and tumble of time, but, very specifically, for the soldiers in the northwest who were to march doggedly through blowing, shifting sands north towards Erigaya, capital city of the Kislik, on the far side of the desert that lay west of the Golden River's bend. Those troops would carry orders to besiege and destroy Erigaya, and bring Kislik leaders in chains to Hanjin. They were to claim steppe wives and daughters to service and assuage the army, and be slaves, and so humble the barbarians of the northwest before the gathered and glorious might of Kitai and its emperor. They forgot something, though heading north. They really did forget something. In a springtime before that northern march took place, a girl was walking beside her father amid chaos and excitement in a very crowded city. You could declare it madness, a collective fever, the way in which Yunling, second city of the empire, was transformed during the Peony Festival. Every spring, for the two weeks when the King of Flowers bloomed, it became nearly impossible to move along Yunling streets and lanes, or find a room at an inn. Houses great and small were filled with returning family and guests from out of town. People offered space, three or four to a bed, or a pallet on the floor, to strangers, for considerable sums. A place to sleep, for a delirious spring interlude, before normal life resumed." There was nothing resembling normal life during the festival. Long Life Temple Road all the way down to the principal western gate, and both sides of Moon Dyke Road were crowded with hastily erected tents and pavilions selling peonies. Yao Yellows, affectionately called the Palace Lady, and Wei Reds cost thousands of cash for a single perfect blossom. Those were the most glorious graftings, the celebrated ones, and only the wealthiest could claim them. But there were less extravagant varieties. Small purple and hidden stream scarlet, sash maroon, the nine-petal pearl, the exquisite tiny petals of the Shuon.
Ninety different kinds of peony could be found in Yunling as the sun returned in spring, their blooming an occasion for joy, whatever else might be happening in the empire, on its borders, in the world. When the first blossoms appeared, a postal express began, racing east each morning along the reserved middle lane of the Imperial Road. There were six stations between Yunling and Hanjin. A fast relay of riders and horses could do it in a day and a night, carrying flowers, so that the sun of heaven might share in the glorious splendor. Yunling had been celebrated for its peonies for more than four hundred years, and the peony had been the imperial flower for longer than that. It was derided by ascetic philosophers, declared to be artificial. Peonies were grafted, constructed by man, not natural. It was disdained as gaudy and sensuous, too seductively feminine to justify exaltation, especially compared to the awesome.